Hey everybody and welcome to the Better at Beach podcast. My name is Mark Burrick. I am here with Brandon Joyner and Hagen Smith is joining us today. So uh, what we are doing in a new direction, we have taken our online program and we're taking on a lot of master coaches. So people whose minds we really respect, who we want to learn from, who we think everybody else in our program can learn from. So this is going to range from elite players to trainers, psychologists, nutritionists, dietitians, um, and coaches. And we're going to have them on a podcast on Monday. So this is what you're listening to. This is our live stream podcast on Monday. And then the following week for our online members at Better at Beach, uh, if you want to go to betteratbeach.com forward slash coaching, you can check that out. You get access to our complete library. And then everybody gets to post their drills, their matches, their workouts, and questions 24-7 in our private community and get coaching from us and our staff. But now that's going to include a guest coach every week. So if you're currently listening, last week's episode, we had Logan Weber. So that means that tomorrow and Wednesday, he starts coaching and he's going to bring us through a few of his matches. We're going to do a video analysis of his match. We're going to select a lottery member from our members for him to do a 20 minute analysis of their match. It's not going to be you, Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, everybody else who submits video through our program is going to get a critique on their technique, strategy, decisions, and questions from all of these master coaches. So we're super excited for this, and we think it's going to bring a ton of value to our members, but you guys get to also listen to this free on our podcast. So that's uh, everything about our online world. We just came back from Houston, had a three-day camp in Houston at Third Coast Volleyball, and it was awesome. Thank you guys so much, Houston, for welcoming us. The coolest part was we had people who were definitely not from Houston. We had somebody from Northern California. We had somebody from Minnesota. We had somebody who was on a work trip from Israel had just happened to line up and they're like, couldn't believe that we were running a camp in the city that he was working in. So he signed up during that. And uh, we also had somebody from Washington, DC. So it's pretty cool that our three day camps are getting people coming in from all over the place and visiting a new city and getting some built in friends there. If you're a men's sorry about that, guys, I don't know how to work my electronics. If you're a men's a, a or double a player, Uh, In Hermosa Beach on uh, February 26th to 28th, we have a three-day men's camp. So if you guys want to come out to Hermosa. 23rd to the 25th. Sorry. 23rd to the 25th. Thank you. Starting this Friday. Oh. Teamwork. You guys better sign up quick. It's a fun uh, crew. It's a fun crew. Um, (laughs) March 8th to 10th, we have a women's A-double-A three-day camp. So if you guys want to join us for some intense training, you're more than welcome. But we got to get to the show. So Hagen Smith, welcome. And what's your favorite part about volleyball? Oh, um, uh, I'd have to say how like you can't really hide in the competitiveness and just in each play, you have to be involved. I know you can say that about a lot of sports, but um, for me, I found that specifically beach is something that, you know, you, you really have to test yourself in all aspects of sport. You know, the physicality, the mental side, your athleticism, and then your just your volleyball skill in general. Hmm. If you were to describe yourself as like a stereotypical or archetypal, archetypical uh, mental player, like emotionally, how would you describe your mental game? Would you say that you're like stoic? Are you warrior? Are you hype man? Uh, what happens in your head? Because it's pretty exciting to watch you. Um, I've gotten to watch you pretty up close and I've also gotten to watch you from afar. So just as a fan, I get fired up watching you. Uh, but I don't know what's going on in your head because sometimes people thought I was losing my mind in a match and I was like really calm on the inside but trying to show mm-hmm. everybody else that I was excited. What do you think is your archetype mentally or emotionally? You know, I, I'd have to say it's been, it's changed quite a bit. And uh, right now, it's very much go with the flow. You know, it's because sometimes you're going to be in a rut, sometimes you're going to be on top of the world. And 
if you have giant, you know, swaying of your, your mental state, that's going to just cause a lot of chaos in your head. So what I try to do a lot right now is recognize each, you know, if, if we're down, like say, okay, yes, we're in a, a bad situation. Um, am I going to hang out here or just, you know, let it happen and move and push through. So I think, uh, if I'd have to, you know, put it in a phrase more, so go with the flow. Hmm. And not the answer <clears throat> I was expecting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I kind of feel that from you. I, especially over the last couple of years. Um, I got to train with you a decent amount during like the pandemic years. Um, mm-hmm. But especially recently, since you've been teaming up with Logan, I I've mentioned it to him a few times that I, I really like the way that I think at least I'm, I'm excited for this podcast to get to chat with you a little bit, but um, the way I think you're viewing the game, not only the endpoint rallies, but also just like how, what the way you envision your season and, and, and how it affects you mentally. I think it's, I like the go with the flow description because that's what I feel right now for me. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, when I first got into the sand, and I think in indoor as well, I'd say it was more warrior esque, where I was super rah rah, super like I want to kill the other team, loud, um, and just trying to you know crush everybody, put my foot on everybody's neck, and that can work, and that did work for me a little bit. But understanding, you know, I've been in the beach on the beach now since 2013. No, sorry, 2017. Um, and there's, it's frankly, the warrior mindset is kind of exhausting if you have to fight the the lows or if you're trying to, you know, be on the same page with your partner, especially. Like, it, it is a, like I said earlier, it's, it's an individual sport in the sense of you can't hide, you always have to be there, but then you also have your partner that you need to, I'll go back to this flow with and find stuff that works uh, the best for both of you. Um, And I think, especially as I've played with more and more people, I find myself being adaptive to them to try to put our our best self forward. That's something I've always thought where, uh, you know, I'll go to like Casey Jennings, uh, Nick Lucena, guys who you considered and looked at as almost brawlers, you know, mm-hmm. who when I was watching, I was like, these guys just scream at their blockers, tell them what to do. Uh, don't hide their frustration at all. And then if you look at that as, as a model, I always thought the only way you can do that is if you are lights out in 100%. your game. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, of course, Haydn can like throw his hands out and yell at somebody for an imperfect set because he's been doing it for 20 years. He's gone to Olympics. He's mm-hmm. been, you know, second in our country for however many years. And of course, has got a lot of first. But if you're not one of the top three defenders where blockers are clamoring to play with you, I don't think if you're a nut job, you're getting a lot of partners. And yeah. it is tough for a lot of people to deal with emotion or fire. Um, so as a, as a mid-sized defender, I always think you always have to be a little bit, maybe more of a chameleon to, to try to work with more people emotionally. And maybe I'm just putting that on little or mid-sized guys instead of putting it on everybody. Like it is a mm-hmm. partnership and you have to figure out that there are some parts of you that just don't, work and some parts that don't work for everybody yeah 100 percent. i mean like uh maybe off base but i see i don't know if you've you've seen this or heard this but kobe was describing james harden how he played james harden is an amazing player right but he saw him in the way he played not as a championship caliber player because everything had to work through him and his certain style and like holding the ball running down the clock and you know, especially in basketball, there's four other guys on the floor. And if you can score 
a crap ton of points every game and be lights out and have your um, support players do what they need to do. I, maybe that works, but not necessarily. No, I don't. It, it hasn't worked for him. And uh, that's just one example. But, yeah, you know, some guys can take the the rah-rah. Like if I was to – frankly, I love – I do love being a little bit of a psycho sometimes. Um, <laughs> it's fun. It is fun. <laughs> but, you know, within the flow too or within like going away from that warrior-ness, I've all, I also think about how you're envisioned by – or seen by the fans, not not that I care that, like I'd rather win than care what other people think, but I also want them to have a great experience. Um, mm. And I think that putting myself in a more flowy uh, state and having that interaction with fans, A, is, is good for me. It brings me back to like understanding what I'm doing is super fun. It's a game even though there is a lot of the line for me. And then it just, it, it makes the whole experience better for everybody. Nice. B, could you uh, so. not play with the, the clicky on the pen for the audio? Yeah. Me? Somebody's snapping a pen. No, it was me. Snapping, snapping, snapping. You nervous? <laughs> I got some, I got some little ticks. I, I have. <laughs> uh, do you think that an indoor player and a beach player have to be different personalities how much of yourself as an indoor i mean i know that you said you're maybe maturing or just evolving uh, in a different way from when you were younger to right now but do you think that you're a different type of player if you play indoor versus if you play beach yes and no you don't (laughs) not a definitive answer but i think you i think you can take the same type of competitiveness competitiveness or, or mindset into both. Um, there are some, I, I, I've known some great indoor players that aren't like who you'd even think would be good beach players um, come to the beach and just can't hang at all. And then vice versa. Right. Um, you know, within the, the wide range, there are some, but you know, some ways to play that, that translate, but not others. Mm. Do you think that we'd be wiped out? Do you think six, two and below guys would, if finances came back into beach, do you think we'd be extinct? You know, I mean, indoor, if you look at any outside, any person who's a high level right side opposite to be under six, five currently is like, short unless you're mm-hmm. a setter i mean we got what micah right but isn't he is he six three or six five i guess six three six three okay mm-hmm. and short not a hitter so do, do you think that <laughs> if money came back into beach and it was significant would would we be extinct i don't think siri doesn't think so um it, it'd definitely be harder but and I, sure I, I want to say no. I, I think it's it, it would still be it would make it a lot more difficult. But they're still fastest of the game that these indoor guys aren't necessarily like. If you take like Engapeth, right? He's an unreal volleyball player. He's got all the tools in his uh, tool belt. But you know, there's some guys that need that runway, um, and the sand just adds so much extra, you know, variability. And if you put them you know, if you go play in a Norseka in the Dominican where the sand is just jumpy as all get out, sure, mm-hmm. they'll do fine. But if you put them in Hermosa, uh, it changes things quite a bit. So yeah, I think but that's the deep with, sand is the equalizer. But, but you're, now you're talking about the beach experienced players versus mm-hmm. people who haven't played there. Like if Matt Anderson decided that he just wanted to be a beach player for the last 15 years, would he be dominating? You know, all signs point to yes, I guess. If that's what you want, I want to say no for, for myself, you know. Um, I, I think yeah, it's you, – you just – you have to see them in the sand. Yeah. 
Yeah. And we'd still, you know, you'd still find, I think you would still find some of them. Like, okay, you, you could say the same thing about NBA, right? But we still mm-hmm. have a 6'3 Steph Curry who, like, makes it happen. You also kind of consider him a phenom. Like, you just have to be that much more excellent. Yeah. And w- when I'm coaching people who are short and who, like, can't spike, you just got to figure out your game. So stop mm-hmm. thinking about how much shorter you are, how much taller everybody else is, but what can you do well and what can you accentuate that is going to make you awesome, going to make you a threat. And if you just decide to blame height or stature or history or blame anything in your life, like forget it, you're hopeless anyway. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, the only way forward or to, to a better level is just to figure out what you can bring and do it at an awesome level. Yeah. And if if that was the case, I think, yeah, uh, the the best would rise to the occasion, and we have some very talented beach players right now. Um, and I'd I I would say that a lot of those players would still be some of the top players. And then if we want to go even deeper, if you did bring those like very talented indoor players, then we may see another rule change. Because let's just let's oh. hypothesize and say that right. these guys come in. And they're just putting balls away every side out, right? That's not as as a entertainment standpoint or from an entertainment standpoint, that's not super exciting to watch. It's just, you know, what, like five second plays, just back and forth, side out, side out, side out. Um, I mean, that's why the the game changed initially from side out to rally scoring and then from the bigger thirty by thirty court to the smaller court. Uh they wanted to, you know, add more rallies and make the game more exciting, at least on the men's side. What type of rule change would you put in to stop points from happening? Like a half court shot, or a two point uh, court shot, ten point line, or sorry, not ten point line, ten foot line, something like that. If you want to attack, you gotta reverse put it back there. Revco, um, my favorite. <laughs> Nothing better than hitting on a girl's net. Woo! Jump serving. You have to land behind the 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 service line. You can't jump over. That was something they they even in the uh, indoor they were. tinkering with but Mm -hmm. all right what do you think is the most important part of a practice Uh, i think the the goal of the practice going into it and i i watched a little bit of logan's video from last week and he talked about how we're going into practices process oriented versus result oriented so if you're just worried about you know let's say we're doing a hitting drill and we're trying to hit the, the, the last two feet of the court or, or beach, let's say the last foot of the court. Yeah. If you're worried just on, on just hitting that spot without focusing on what it takes to get there, you're not going to get as high level of a practice as you want. So things that Logan and I have implemented this year is in, you know, it depends on the practice. If we're doing a, a, a very competitive practice, we'll talk about focusing on one, maybe two very specific things that we want to work on. Maybe we can go, all right, from the side out point of view, we want to work on this from defense or when we're serving, uh, we want to work specific or we want to highlight this one specific thing. Because if you're going into practice, you're like, I need to work on the pass and then immediately have to work on the transition into my approach. Then I have to work on my hit. It just, you know, it overloads your mind where you don't get quality reps at that one thing you're trying to focus on. So I think highlighting goals or highlighting specific things that you want to work on and making it more specific um, will help you a naturally everything also just fall into place. So if you have been working on, so this is what we found out say week one, we're working on just setting and passing and week two, we're working on swinging. We've seen, that our week t- our passing and setting in week two has been better just because, you know, not because we're extra focused now after a week, but because we put that focus in and have let it develop naturally. So simplifying, getting a little more specific and not letting the extra static of everything else affect the task at hand. Mm, static's a good word for it. Yeah. yeah, there's always that nonsense that comes in. Yeah, and as soon as you, 
And we did this um, at the camp too. You know, we're like, okay, everybody's working on something. Everybody's working on a very specific skill for so long. And then it becomes, okay, now it's time to play. And everybody's mm-hmm. like, great. Now I'm free. I don't have to worry about that thing that I've just been trying to build. And I'm like, nah, dude, what? <laughs> Now's your only time to actually implement it. Like you mm-hmm. just spent three hours learning how to use a hammer. Now go use a hammer to build the house. <laughs> Just yeah. start running around, throwing a bunch of tools around. Yeah, the the first time I figured that out was uh, at UCLA. I was working on my serve. Um, and I had one of our coaches watch and dissect what I was doing. And, you know, it was, it was a jump serve. So I was working on tossing, keeping on my right shoulder, kicking my right foot out. So I get my, so I open my hips up, keeping that hip back, then initiating my swing first with my hip while getting that, uh, the ball on my right side or like on my right shoulder instead of cross or too far away. Mm. And that, you know, in the time it takes to serve is just an overload of information you're trying to change. And so I was going back to him and I was asking him like, Oh, how is this? Like, how is everything? How is it? Like, how's my foot? How was my arm? And he said, you know what? Just, let's just focus on one thing. Actually, I don't know if he said, Let's focus on one thing or if it was my thing. Um, I'll give, I'll give Brad the credit right now. Brad Keller, <laughs> awesome coach. Um, but I, I dissected and I focused on, you know, I did five serves with, okay, I'm just working on getting that toss on my right. Or that was my main focus, just main focus, kicking my right leg out next, then next five hip, next five arm. And I found that kicking my right foot out was the thing for me in that situation. And now I'm taking that in your right foot out. So if you're coming in like uh, in the end of your approach, boom, boom, I come in straight ahead instead of kicking my toes out to get around. So then, Uh, you know, getting the arm back, getting the the hip back. So so you're saying that you're, um, if somebody's listening on a podcast, so you're saying that instead of turning your feet to the right as a right-handed hitter, before you jump, uh you that's that's what I'm straight. You stopper. So I, I would tend to come in straight and oh. just crunch on my head. So that didn't give me that extra torque from my full body. So for me, it was about kicking the toes out, planting the heel, having my foot angled this way, which would then get my whole body to come around, causing my right hip to be back, then allowing me to use that full torque and finish, you know, right hand into left pocket, landing right foot forward. Does that make sense? Gotcha. Okay, yeah. So making sure that you you kind of had a diagonal takeoff and indoor with your feet. So your feet are faced slightly to the right when you take off. Correct. That yes. puts your hip back so that you can chuck it forward. And you're basically doing close to a 180 um, to get your torque. And then I, ish. Roughly, yes. How much you're throwing at yeah, it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and rotating in the air. Do you do the same thing? For beach, would you teach the same thing for beach? Uh, yes and no. I want to do that more, um, but I found, you know, beach is it's less important to add a lot of power and more important, at least in my mind at the moment, uh, to be fast. So if I'm playing on the right side, uh, and this is I, I'll get back to what we worked on this week, Mark, where you're talking about getting my right arm back. Um, if I'm on the right side, I like being straight on because then I can, it, I don't show anything. And if I want to come across my body, boom, I come this way. And it doesn't need to be a rip because I just want to put it on the ground fast, not hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but that only works because my right arm comes across this way. So it kind of mimics if my shoulder is back because of where, how the arm travels. Um, but if I'm on the left side, yes, I want to get that left foot in front, that right foot open and have my arm and hip back so I can come through to generate a little bit more power, um, from the left. Gotcha. So as a right side, essentially on takeoff, your feet are a little bit more next to each other. Toes are facing a little bit more straight, if I'm hearing you right. And then yes. as for, as a right side and as a left side, uh, that left foot just ends up 
a bit further forward so that you're almost more open to where the set's coming from, similar to how it would be in, more in indoor. Yeah, and it, that that happens naturally based on, for me, line of approach. Because on the right yeah. side, we're coming in straight. I'm trying to come in straight as much as possible. And then on the left side, I'm coming in at that angle. So my if we're just looking, like if this is the net and I'm on the right, I come in here. But if I'm on the left, I come like this. And so technically my feet are facing same body line. But then when I'm coming in to attack, I have more my I'm not parallel to the net. I'm just a little bit at an angle. Yeah. Gotcha. I started I started playing with that as as a left side. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't like my cut shot. I didn't like that I didn't feel like I could hit certain angles when I was hitting from the left side that I could easily hit on the right side. And I kept wondering what was going on. So then I decided that as a left side, I would approach more similar to a right side. I want to get close mm-hmm. to my setter, but I would approach the ball straight on instead of at the angle. So still mm-hmm. setter still leave me inside. I'll still create that window. But yeah. then it left my right shoulder just a little bit closer to the net as mm-hmm. opposed to, to back. And so when I'm hitting it, I felt like my arm and the ball were a little bit closer to the net. And then I could have a little bit more action on top of the ball so that my hard cross turned into kind of a wrist away. And I worked really hard to get a very good like, wrist away power. And mm-hmm. I, I really liked how that felt straightening out my approach a little bit more on the left side when um when I was doing it crap I was taking a pretty extreme angle inside and then the only power I had was deep cross and cross body but like I Mm -hmm. could not hit a sharp angle to save my life and then when I straightened it out I was able to do a little wrist away carbon and I just really liked how it felt because instead of having my left shoulder a little bit closer to the net I ended up a little more flattened out so my right shoulder was closer and um, that's what worked for me just because of my body type, the way I like to touch the ball. Um, not saying that that's a recommendation for everybody, but if you feel like you have different angles or different capabilities on the right and the left, you got to find something that's weak. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I recently have been thinking about that as well because, you know, like, you know, Logan and I have been experimenting playing on both sides or playing either left or right. We're still not certain. We should probably figure that out. We have a Norseka qualifier on Thursday. Um, the idea. Yeah, <laughs> or if we're both good enough on both sides, you know, that's, <laughs> I, I, you know, yeah. Keep, either keep them guessing or just be comfortable from everywhere. That's what I like to go into it with. But I have on the left been thinking about, cause I do feel comfortable, you know, like I said, being straight on. Yeah. Um, and this, would allow or this swing would allow for a little bit like anatomically for me Mm. easier i haven't i haven't done it yet but in my you know my life up until now playing i've been more on the board on boat with uh coming at that angle Mm. yeah pretty standard but it's go ahead i think it's cool to hear uh because I think a lot of times one of the big keys that we give when we're talking about attacking is like pull your elbow back, you know, like mm-hmm. I've been saying recently, which has worked a little bit is like act like you're breaking glass behind you. Um, uh-huh. It's also really cool. Like sometimes those types of body cues don't work necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you're saying a lot about manipulating your feet or your approach angle to make that drawback easier yeah Um, i think that's that's huge and i found out that out for myself and in coaching especially kids right because um yeah they don't a lot of these kids don't know how to use their body and that's they just never been taught or frankly like how to i i remember a couple years ago i had a group and a group of 14 kids and I just had them squat as low as they could. And I think they were, I can't remember if they're under 14 or under 12, but it was a mix up from fifth grade through eighth grade, I think. Uh, and I just had them squat and not a single kid squatted the same or loaded the, into the squat the same. And that's based on a, a number of factors, but also they've just never been taught 
how to go down. Like, I remember even I had a, a teammate at UCLA who, you know, top athlete, top volleyball player uh, collegially in the country, could just his his mobility through his hips was just so bad. He could not, as, as soon as he went into like a quarter squat to go any further, he had to bend that, like bend his back forward. But the, the kid could just spring and jump so well. And so I think like be, as a coach and like in this example, as a coach, it's understand to, it's important to understand the limitations at that moment of mm. what, certain athlete or what athletes can do based on what they have, because, you know, yes, I agree that there are, if you had just a, a perfect piece of clay that you could mold, you'd want to do it specific ways to be like, like anatomically the best. Right. Um, but that's not always the case. If you're, you know, if you're, if you get the opportunity to work with somebody over a long period of time, then you can break it down. But if you want them to be the best that they can be, at that moment. And then depending on how long you get to work with them, uh, break it down. You know, it's, it's up to you to try to figure that out. And, uh, like one thing for specifically getting the arm back, I had a kid, uh, try to like, I told them like, try to go pick your nose. Right. And so when he came as, when he brought his arm back, he would like touch his nose and that (laughs) kept it low enough. Because I, I tried under the chin. He, he couldn't do it. I told him initially to bring it back, and he would just keep it high like this. So, like, okay. picking your nose was the perfect level for him to then get the, his elbow back and, a, a, you know, the whip action of the arm. Nice. Mm-hmm. I like little weird cues. It's so, it's, yeah, right? It's so silly how much cool. stuff works for people. Yeah. You never know. It, and you never know if they're – like an auditory learner or a visual learner or the other types of learners. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, I mean, as a coach, you need just a million things in your, in your toolbox. And that's, there are very good young coaches that, that can do it. You know, there, there are kids that are just 21, 22 that are just great with analogies and will try. But then there are those coaches that never quite make it to an elite coaching level because they just keep repeating the same exact word and no one understands it. So they never get understood and no one, no one moves beyond that. And mm-hmm. if you, if you grow as a coach and luckily, you know, me and Brandon definitely got to play long enough where we got to work with enough players and enough coaches where we've got this massive tool belt of different cues that you can try. So it's, I get hammered on my, not, not drunk anymore. I get, um, you know, people make fun of me or ask questions on our Instagram and I'll give somebody uh, a tip and it's a video of me coaching one athlete in one moment. Mm-hmm. And people are like, Oh, well, I was taught blah, 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 blah. And I, Hey, this is a 30 second clip. I'm not teaching you. This is me teaching this person in this moment. So if I'm telling somebody, hey, try this for 30 seconds, only set with your hands because their hands are rock solid during setting, that doesn't mean I'm telling people not to use your elbows or shoulders, right? It's just this person in this moment needed this one cue. And later on, I might give them another cue. And you're always giving athletes opposite cues in order Mm -hmm. to get to the same place, you know, on any given court. And it's funny when social media doesn't, recognize or remember that and they often have to be reminded so if you're listening cut me a break (laughs) (laughs) um what are two uh, because well let's let's talk about you've got a number of brands um yeah you've got king of the beach which is a family brand you've got pack six uh you're the director and owner of an indoor club are you in any other businesses you into crypto how's it going (laughs) (laughs) Woo! <laughs> well, we're back, baby. Uh, we're yeah, back. right. I only had to wait it out like two and a half years, and and okay, we're back to neutral. <laughs> um, no, the the big ones right now are, are King of the Beach and Pack Six, and so uh, you know, I did a little. I did. I was successful with some day trading uh, right around COVID, and then uh, yeah, nice. <laughs> the market did its thing, um, and. Uh, but no, the, the big ones are King of the Beach and uh, Pack Six, and the, you know, and then 
big time focus for me is, is on my own game and, uh, you know, internationally and AVP. Hmm. What, how does King of the beach play into that? Um, is it events? Is it partnerships? Uh, what's the future and current goals for King of the beach? And then, uh, really want to go into if your indoor kids after this, we'll go, if you're telling your indoor kids to play beach or not, but first King <laughs> of the beach, what are its goals, um, future goals and what's your partner? Uh, King of the beach, you know, that our right now, our, our biggest seller is the, the volleyball, right? The, um, the old school ball that, you know, is, is either a, a lot of, you see a lot of people playing, um, either recreational players or four man players. And that's just, it's a model of the old ball or one of the first balls on tour. And it has the raised panels and the, the ridges, and it technically plays, you know, more like, uh, like I'll say natural volleyball, <laughs> but um, gives you better grip, gives you better shots. It's harder to really put pace on the ball just because mm. it's a little bit heavier. And then, um, yeah, so that's our, our main one right now. We're still, we're, we've been experimenting a lot with uh, our clothing brand and trying to find you know, who, who has the best capabilities to, uh, you know, print and make and, and all that stuff. We've, we've gone through a, a couple of different providers that we've liked, we haven't liked, and then just, you know, the roller coaster of all that. And then, uh, we're heavily involved with, uh, you know, King of the Court. Um, and so, you know, trying to, uh, build that relationship up as much as possible and to, you know, we, we'd love to have more King of the Court events in the U.S. And uh, hopefully in the coming years, we, we are able to. Okay. So King of the Beach is your brand for volleyballs and, and potentially future future company that's taking over all volleyball apparel. You, you and Slunks are either going to partner up yeah, or you're right? going to knock each other out. <laughs> <laughs> um, and King of the Court is the international event uh, where there's timed events and people are playing. Some people call it Paradise. Some people call it Side Out. Some people call it King and Queen of the Court. Um, and those events are fun. The, you, you played in two, three? Five now, Jesus. Do- Doha, Miami, Hamburg, uh, Netherlands. Four, four. Um, so fun. They're just the atmosphere of the events. You know the the sky boxes of what is what they call them. And uh, I was only I've only played in one in the Netherlands last year, Rotterdam, which Troy Field, where the sky box setup was their their full sky box setup, which was just on three sides, four or five levels up, just totally encased in basically private box seats. And then one side had a, um, just normal bleachers. But it just is, it's crazy. It's its full party atmosphere. Uh, all the players, you know, there's it's a little bit more laid back from the competitive side where in, in, in the sense of we're not at each other's throats and there's mm-hmm. there aren't, points um basically associated with the world tour or for the uh, an olympic birth but yeah kind of consider it like a gift right it's almost like you got all the other tournaments and then somebody decided to put this on it's wilco right um yes somebody decided to put this cool event on that's quote unquote not real volleyball but it's just fun. There's money involved. So it almost feels like a, a bonus. Yeah. You know, I got to play in, I think I only got to play in one, but, and there was money on the line and you're kind of taking it seriously, but also at the same point, you, I, I can't really lose here because there's no yeah. points. It's going to knock me out of the next tournament. I'm not worried about whether I'm going to be in the qualifier or not. And so there's no lose and all fun and everything to gain. Um, and and it's a new style, so you're not expecting anybody to really take it seriously. But man, those are fun. And do you think that it could be Olympic event for volleyball? I, I'd yeah, love to see it. Time. I'd love to see it. I think it, it'll be tough just because of how the Olympics add sports, and uh, you know, at the rate that they add sport, right? 
But swimming's got going 19 back. events. Running's got 23 <laughs> events. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, we're just fighting for that TV time, basically. Because, uh, you know, we have the space. No, I think no one else is using that, the beach court. But going back to, like, the seriousness, I do want to say that it is t- very, very high-level volleyball. Um, it's nowhere – I don't think anyone would think this, but it's nowhere near, like – a, a joke of any kind. I think like it's, it's frankly right now, <laughs> probably my favorite form of event because they, they treat us super well. Uh, all the athletes there, um, you know, are having a great time and it's amazing volleyball. Mm-hmm. I think they just ran, didn't they just run an event in Tenerife? Or- in Tenerife. Yeah. And yeah. They're, like- they're, they're malleable too. They're, they're smart where, yeah, they're they're smart. They knew all the uh, all the European and a, or a lot of the international players are out there. Why not capitalize? And they did. Let's call it like a little grassroots style event where they didn't have the skyboxes, but they had, you know, uh, they had as much as the setup um, that they could, just bare bonesing it, and it went super well. You know, there was a a great turnout. Um, I think it was a great opportunity. To for all these teams to have a competitive training environment on top of their just normal training camp, and uh, yeah, I think they're working for and with the athletes, which is awesome to see. That's, for and with is nice. Yes. I think that's currently currently missing uh, from the AVP. You know, and I'll, I'll for sure say it out loud, but it, I, I keep seeing these quotes of this high level players are saying how successful and what a great idea. And like anytime I talk to any player, it's yeah, hopeful, but we, we didn't hear anything about us. No one's, no one's involving us. And then, yeah, of course you're reading Kent Steffa's stuff. And it's like, well, somebody step up and be involved. Uh, you know, until players are actually going to demand to be in the conversation and take over or abstain completely you can't complain. You've got to do something about it. And this season, you know, we'll see how it goes again, but they renamed every event into a different, I guess, cool name. And, uh, hopefully, uh, we'll be getting that fall series where Mm -hmm. it's a league. Not quite sure why they called it a league, but uh, the top eight teams are going to get into uh, a series of events in the fall. And that'll be big for those for those top eight teams, and uh, you and Logan should be a hundred percent in there. Uh, we just got to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. If not, we'll blame our coach, right? Like hundred percent. No, I'm excited okay. to see how that works, and I'm excited to you know have these opportunities to play. And I think that on both, like you are hundred percent. Correct, and I've been talking to my dad about this. That we we need to work together, AVP and the players, and be on the same board, and not and uh, you know we you can't have one without the other, mm. and we all want success because, like I said, it's it's you know if one is successful, the other the the other should be successful successful. So you know, we're here. I've, I've, for myself, I've made it known that I'm, I'm ready to do what it takes or whatever they need, um, to build this sport. And I think yeah. it starts, you know, it, it's, it's important that we work as a collective. It does kind of stink though, that you, you do have a bunch of athletes who, if they decide to insert themselves and whichever side you want to blame, for one of the demises of the AVP where um, the players didn't like the contract of Leonard Armato when he put it all together and they saw how much he was making versus how much they were making. And apparently there was, I wasn't there, but a big blow up of that situation. But then you had all the athletes who don't know a thing about business. They're just seeing everything from the athlete standpoint. And the more, we started running better at beach and actually understanding the inner workings of business. Then later when I was in those player meetings, when we were having like zoom meetings, um, I guess four and five years ago, and they're telling us about the changes, I actually had real questions to ask. 
and they didn't have decent answers. And I was the only player who was asking that because I was one of three players that had their own business, you know, mm-hmm. at the time and could ask decent questions. So it's definitely not a, we need every player involved. <laughs> um, everyone should have a voice for sure, but a, a special few are going to have to step up in a big way and hopefully an intelligent way uh, if there is to be a change. And part of what I thought Donald's son did pretty well was while he listened to the players, he stood his ground fiercely uh, when some players decided to try to step up and, and change things because he thought he knew better. And I mean, he got out. <laughs> um, don't know if he won or lost on, on all those years, but there just has to be intelligence brought into the room and experience and not every athlete has that. So it's, it's not a place where everybody uh, should have an actual influential voice. They should have a voice, but not necessarily an influential voice. So there's very few players currently out there that I would trust to say, yeah, let's get you in the room and let's like be having you guys make decisions and being the actual um, association union leader for the players. Uh, It would take a a special individual who's seeing all ends of that. And, you know, one of the guys who I think would see all ends of that would be uh, Travis. He's Travis Mayweather. I I think he's smart. He might be too nice (laughs) to, to be in that position, but he sees every angle of it. Um, and Hagen, you'd have my vote. <laughs> um, tough for Travis right now. I think he'd have to play <laughs> if he's if he's moving over to the coaching side. Um, no, I, I I agree. I think that is it's important as a collective we work together. And uh, yes, to have to hear everything and then be able to put it because um, there's no there's no necessarily bad ideas. Maybe some better ways to say it. Or better, uh, or at least talk about better, better umbrellas to put it under, right? Um, yeah. You know, I, I and I've had conversations uh, with with some people at the AVP, and uh, I've made it known that I am ready to step up if if necessary, and uh, um, ready to I am ready to work with all all the other players on tour to benefit everybody, right? I think uh, uh, I have. Like I said, I've, I've understood or I've gone over the last couple of years, I've had my club and worked with King of the Beach and seen uh, a little more of the business side of things. And then uh, I have the the wealth of knowledge that, you know, my dad was that player for a long time as a, a representative between, you know, AVP and the players and then the FIVB and the players. And, uh, mm. you know, I, we've we've had plenty of discussions on, what's worked, what hasn't worked, um, you know, things he's done right, things he's done wrong. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's, I'm lucky to be able to have that wealth of uh, information that I can go back to. Well, there you go. Hagen for president. (laughs) (laughs) But first we get to league. Um, nepotism. Now, Okay, so let's let's shift gears a little bit back to indoor club um, to beach. So you've got uh, an indoor club, Pack Six in Pacific Palisades. Uh, mm-hmm. How many teams are running, and do you mandate that your players play beach, or do you wish highly you encouraged that they play beach? You know, it. it uh, I think at, at this age, it's just it's so important for the all around volleyball athlete to play beach. Um, you know, it, it works out that, you know, through my dad and, and through my brother, we, we all have, or more so them right now have beach clinics and camps for youth so I can steer them that way. Uh, and yeah, like I said, the, at my club, I, tr- I try not to, to the best of my ability and with working with my coaches. And then when I do get out there, uh, make sure that, you know, I don't want to stick the, uh, frankly, I'd love to have one of these kids, but the six six <laughs> eighth grader in the middle, just because he's you know six six, um, and not have him pass and just do middle work. I think it's super important that they they do everything. I mean, let's take let's talk. 
a great example is Robbie Page, right? Seven foot one from Rochester, New York. Very easy to just have been like, all right, yeah, you're the tallest guy by far out of anybody here. Let's throw you in the middle. But he was very adamant himself about, you know, wanting to play outside and pass and play defense and do all other aspects of the game. And that benefited him super well. I mean, he, he took that talent to UCLA as a, I don't even know if he ever played or was put in the middle while he was there. I know he played a little bit opposite and then mainly outside. And then he went on to play international as well. But um, yeah, main thing I like, I want to make known or make sure that I implement or we implement as a club is the full volleyball player, the full volleyball athlete. And then I forgot the second part of the question. With, with your beach history knowledge and you know wealth of, of indoor knowledge and experience one, one of the pieces of advice that I give to most indoor coaches and it is put your kids into small groups like you, you don't have to I don't think you have to play beach I don't think that necessarily can make you better however mm-hmm. if you just spent as much time as beach players did passing setting reading and defending and blocking, then you would be that better player. So do you need mm-hmm. to play beach? No, you need to get more touches um, Correct. and all of the different touches. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, theoretically is- easier to walk out to the beach and get three players than it is to rent a church gym. Um, and then again, find three or five buddies uh, that'll do it with you and you can play inside. And plus it's more 100%. fun in the summer. Yeah. So, and that's, that's basically if yeah getting nitty gritty with it it's hard to find gym time um to play to work on indoor stuff you know i getting it through these through or into you know the kids heads that you don't need six for six to work on your game even though they see indoor everywhere that they see it's like oh it's six versus six that's how that's that's how it's supposed to be done beach um you know it is two versus two. Um, so from that, from the mindset of the kid, it, 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 they see that they're getting a full game, I guess, to, to, yeah, I'll put it that way. And then, um, yeah, just gym space. The, the, the fact that it is at the beach and, uh, <laughs> it's much yeah. more accessible and it's just, it's it, in the summer. It's awesome. Do you, does your, club, does your club do a lot of small group? Because that's my number one piece of advice for, for indoor coaches is stop playing six on six with your six on six teams. It's figure out a way to like break the court in half, put them in mm-hmm. sections, do two on two, do three on three, do even triangle drills where every kid is passing, every kid is setting, but one, six kids waiting for one ball plus lines behind them. You yep. know, it's and they it's can't pay attention. It's not their fault. No, and no. you got like you got a ten-year-old girl waiting for three minutes to get a touch. She gets one touch, and then she got to wait another three minutes. It's like mm-hmm. you're wasting time and you're wasting opportunity for repetitions. I think by playing six on six at young ages, you know, for me, I put quarterback sleeves. On my girls, I didn't spend more than 10 minutes teaching them rotations. I told them if they were an OH1, an OH2, an S, or an M1. And then I said, row one. And they looked at their quarterback sleeve, and they went there on the map. And I'm, st- I'm stealing the it. quarterback sleeve. Oh. I love that. <laughs> but, I mean, I know coaches who are wasting three hours trying to get their kids to memorize rotations. And I go, I don't need to do this. I need you to pass and set for hours because even if you have no idea where you are on the court, like at least you can control the ball when it comes to you. And that's what mattered to me at 14 years old and 15 years old. When we get to 15, 16, 17, and then they're getting competitive, all right, we'll do some more sixes. But for me, it was all about how can I maximize touches and spend as little time in a six-on-six environment as we could to play six-on-six. Yeah. Um, And then for even when I was – I think my my two years of 14s, so seventh and eighth grade when I was playing, um, I don't know if this was on purpose or just worked out that way, but I like to implement it now, is always have 
either right back or right front be the setter and just just especially in the beginning of the year just have everyone rotate everyone gets to play outside everyone gets to play middle everyone gets to play right side um that can work based on level that the kids are on your side of the net and then at tournaments you know some of these kids nowadays are just animals and they've been playing forever and they're just giants so it's tough to go and do that <laughs> sometimes it's tough to play against those top teams but usually it uh it all filters through but no i i i am a fan of as many touches as possible and uh, i even at ucla when when we would do our indoor practices we had a lot of mini games that we implemented going through you know we'd, we'd get probably the le- like hour and a half of our three hour practice, maybe just the last hour of six on six work, like mainly, but we could, cause we were at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but before then, you know, we would do a lot of uh, backcourt play. So three, you know, back row threes, three back row, yeah, back row threes. We did um, for a long time. We would do uh short court two touch. Um, and, you know, you could only, depending on what we're working on, the first touch had to be overhand and the second one underhand or only one arm, whatever. And then we would mm-hmm. put another drill is we would put the antenna or add an extra antenna and put it in the center of the court and just play uh, skinny court basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like you, I like, yeah, that, that, uh, that focus on, maximizing touches is, is super important for the kids. I mean, even for us, right. We need to, we can't, it's a little bit, like I said, it's a little bit easier in beach, but sometimes you have to really dive into the nitty gritty of what you need to work on and not just the, the, the broad everything. Mm-hmm. What, what position did you play? Pagan? Were you a setter? Uh, everything, <laughs> but I did a uh, setting and opposite mainly. Uh, I ran a six two. uh, pretty much from 14s all the way through college. So, yeah, we were through the... College? So UCLA was running a 6-2? Heck, yeah. We, my, my freshman, and so I came in. <laughs> so my, my junior year of high school club, I played libero, and I was not a fan. It did get me recruited to UCLA. Uh, and that was the only year I didn't play setter and opposite even though towards the latter half of that I did play, I think I sat in the junior year. But then uh, freshman year, I played about a month of libero at UCLA. Then I moved to full-time setter. Sophomore year, full-time setter. I broke my hand about halfway through season. And then junior and senior year was, uh, we ran the 6-2, Mike Ma and myself. Oh, cool. Yeah, so, so fun. <laughs> it was very fun. Know. It was awesome. I didn't know you guys I, played together. I can only imagine. Yeah. yeah and, uh, Cool. You know, I, I wish we had a little more leeway um, with the freedom. We started off just kind of a little bit crazy, like just just any time. You know, if if our back row setter dug the ball instead of our libero going to take that second ball, uh, our front row setter would take it. And so there would be early on when we we started doing it, we were getting real crazy where we would just run one balls to ourselves or like backslides or, or like push the pace just between our two, just us two. And then uh, I think we, we messed up like three times in a row. And then our coach was like, all right, cut it for a little bit. Hard stop. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it was, it was, it was very beneficial for us because we always had those three attackers in the front row. We could, the big thing was the ability to pass four basically at all times, except for rotations two and five. Um, and it just showed the, the, the servers a different look and created more seams, but less space. Okay. Um, we're about an hour, so we're not going to take a ton of your time, but we got another couple questions just so you guys know, if you're listening, if you're watching, um, today's Monday, February 19th. So next Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, Hagen will be guest coaching for our members on better at beach.com, which means that all of them can submit, from their courses that we give them, from their workout programs and training programs that we give them, or just from their matches and practices, they all get to submit film all day, any day, and our staff takes care of them by giving them video analysis and their next step feedback for drills and for technical and strategical fixes. So 
currently, uh, we have Logan Weber this week on Tuesday and Wednesday. And next week on Tuesday and Wednesday, Hagen will be our guest master coach. And after that, we will get him an interview on the beach and build the Hagen Smith Masterclass, which will be available for purchase from him and from betteratbeach.com. So just be on the lookout for that because this interview is just a little teaser. Now, last two questions for you, Hagen, before we run. What is one thing that you do currently in your beach volleyball game that you were told the opposite or differently in the past 10 or 15 years? So is there anything that you were told or that you think just run rampant, runs rampant in advice that you discovered for yourself, uh-uh, I'm doing the opposite because that's what works for me. All right, so I'm at a little bit odds with my dad right now. Um, uh, and, uh, family drama. Yeah, right? Um, and, you know, the, the what what we're going back and forth about is uh, – like defensive strategy and specifically he is a proponent of a lot of show and take, right? Like show them one thing, show, you know, let it be open, then go make the move. I right now am in the boat of, there are so many players out there that a never see uh, the defender or B are May, uh, are focused on blocker first and not seeing and still not really working on the defender. So there, and I, I find myself, you know, getting a little lost in my head and thinking like, well, like I'm doing what I've always known. Right. Um, it does. I know who it works against and I know when it will work, but then there are just people who it just never works against or, and I'm, I don't understand why. And I've, this is the argument that we've gone back and forth. I'm like, I just, I'm, I'm just going to stop doing this. It's like, no, you have to show them one thing. Like I, I, I feel like in certain situations I'm parked in the angle and then I make a read off of that or they just hit it at me and it, it doesn't matter where I am. Um, mm-hmm. So that is, that is my one thing that I'm, uh, I'm tink, we'll say not necessarily fully against, but I do trust a lot of the stuff that my dad says. He has a decent enough track record, I think. Um, but I'm at odds with a little bit, a good bit, a lot of it. And, and exclusivity, you know, I think the number one is going to be able to just being adaptable to Mm -hmm. every situation. And if there is a player that it's just, you know, you're three matches in and a certain style hasn't worked once, you got to figure something else out. That's either going to get you touches uh, at, at least, and then hopefully some digs. And yes. there are some defenses. I mean, we played a couple of guys uh, in Manhattan completely differently. And I was oh, telling yeah. Brandon this. I was like, you know, I had those thoughts as a player. It's just uh, it, when we put Hagen in different positions, he made the digs. Like, made the digs every time. And that was the big difference in, in getting a third uh, in Manhattan was that when you were in those different positions, playing different styles of defense, you made the plays. And mm-hmm. um, a part of what we're doing with Cody and Sean and, and Logan was, you know, why people would recruit you or why they would play with you. And it was, you know, it wasn't necessarily defense or offense or serving, but it was the fact that you were, uh, they called you a gamer you know, just Mm -hmm. played when it's on the line, made the play. Um, And that's pretty cool, uh, I think, to get announced that by your peer. But the fact that we had to play in one tournament, you know, within 45 minutes of each other, an hour of each other, completely different styles of volleyball. And just based on who we were playing, each of them worked for those matches at least. So I think being Mm -hmm. adaptable is going to be the answer, but then huge when yeah. you're playing that different style, you got to be able to do it. And if you're saying, I think what you were talking earlier where different people have different capabilities, like, mm-hmm. okay, th- this is, this is what you would have to do if I were able to work with you for three months, but because of where you are right now, and because we need to win this match, I can't ask you to do this. You just got to figure out what tools you have right now that make it available. So mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got that funny story from there's one of our guys who like will set 
he plays with a bunch of other 50 year olds and he's a 50 year old and they're all under five, eight and he'll set somebody perfect and he'll go hit it. And it's like, and then he screams at them saying, what are you doing? Dude, he's never put his fingernails above the top of the net. I don't know what you're expecting him to do at 57 years old, but like you need to expect a new style and he needs to have a new style and he's not going to mash because this is the style that he has to play. Um, but it was funny that, that, that you mentioned it. That was the only thing that I could think of with that mm-hmm. guy is that if you're not at the, the level or just the capability or knowledge point, and we had this a little bit with Sean at practice where I was trying to get him to do something and he couldn't quite figure it out um, and I wasn't saying the right things and he wasn't figuring out the right things. So we got to touch back on that. But you have to be adaptable and able. Mm-hmm. you know, in order to be a true champion or to, to be super successful. So Abel's probably the hardest part. Hmm? Abel's definitely the harder part of it because I think like physically you can change what you do, but being, giving yourself the, the ability to change. That's, that's tough, especially after being ingrained, after training for, you know, I've played volleyball my entire life. I've done it certain ways my entire life. Um, luckily I have had this long period to, to then adapt. It didn't, it didn't work for me right away. It took me years to understand I need to make changes. Um, but yeah, the, the able part of that is probably the hardest part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got it. So, uh, looking forward to what you guys can do this year. And uh, appreciate you coming on and uh, helping out next week with our members. Should be fun. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. Hey, uh, if there's anybody who's looking to play for your indoor club, uh, looking to hook up with King of the Beach, or just wants to connect with you, could you share best ways to do that? Uh, Instagram or websites or emails or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I. if you can't find anything, the easiest way to get at me is a uh, probably my instagram which is haggis h-a-g-g-e-u-s and then uh pack six vb.com is my indoor club and then king of the beach.com all through there you can find all of our stuff and then uh yeah if if probably the easiest is just reach straight out to me and uh i'll leave you the right way coolio thanks hagan appreciate your time thanks guys thanks buddy Peace.